1: This is Matt for Boxing Social in association with William Hill and Empire Fight Store. Delighted as always to be joined by Dan Raphael. Dan, I prefer to join Las Vegas, but over Zoom will do. How's things?
0: Things are good. We had a pretty good boxing weekend, didn't we?
1: Yeah, it's been jam-packed full of fights and some good knockouts and some good some good tear-ups as well. Let's talk about one of them, Anthony Joshua Robert Hellenius. Anthony Joshua managed to close the show in good fashion with a good knockout over Hellenius did have a bit of criticism. There were fans booing, I think, around round three. What do, you, what do you
0: make of that? And what do you make of his performance from what you've seen? Well, I watched it live. And, uh, you know, it was it was a perfectly fine performance. I mean, I think some people get too caught up in the fact that Helenius got knocked out in one round, two fights ago by Deontay Wilder, who obviously is supposed to be the next opponent for Anthony Joshua. And so Anthony Joshua went seven rounds with a guy. I mean, we've always kind of known that Anthony Joshua is maybe not as great of a puncher uh, as Deontay Wilder is, but they both turned out Robert Hellenius' lights with one punch. So to me, whether it was in round one or round seven, shouldn't really make any bit of a difference. So I think from the Joshua standpoint, it was good because he had had the 12 rounds in April against Jermaine Franklin. He got seven rounds here against Robert Hellenius. He's been as busy as he's been for a very long time, and now he can... Uh, have that second fight with Derek James. They had a chance to, do not only a training camp either, but he had to go back to the corner seven times, and you know that's important to hear what he or six times I guess uh, to hear what he has to say, and and still got the knockout, still got the win, and you know they were able to keep the show alive. You know there was a lot of drama going into that because of the fact that the opponent changed in the last uh, you know the week before the fight. So uh, you know fans are fickle. I mean they're gonna. Well, I don't know why they're booing. I mean was it the greatest fight of all time? No, but the fact that it wasn't the greatest fight of all time is actually good for Joshua when it gets to be that kind of slugging match. It's not the greatest thing for Anthony. So I thought he fought a a focused fight, a disciplined fight. And in the end, he turned out the lights. I think um, I've,
1: I've had a couple of interviews <clears throat> talking about the criticism that Anthony Joshua receives and what's been good for Anthony Joshua. That like pre Andy Ruiz has always been great for the fans, but now What's good for Anthony Joshua because he's going up in levels fighting you know, tougher opponents and he has to use his jab and boxing skills. Maybe he isn't what the u k. fans were used to seeing. Do you think he's in like between a rock and a hard place kind of with obviously change of trainer and having to fight differently as he's as he's you know continuing to progress?
0: Well, there's always going to be criticism. It doesn't matter if for Anthony Joshua or any other top boxing star. they always take the incoming. And you know, to me, it's just a matter of just tune it out. I mean, you gotta you gotta do what you gotta do because you're the one that's in the ring. You're the one that's there to try to preserve your career, to win, and to do what's best for your uh, health and your and your career and your bank account and all the things that go along to it. So, the fact that Anthony Joshua may not be fighting at the same level in terms of like the excitement, let's say, like you said prior to the Joshua one uh, to the uh, Ruiz one, I would even say to you it's been a lot different since Klitschko. You know, getting knocked down by Klitschko and and having that sort of in-ring quote-unquote near-death experience has altered him to some degree as a fighter, but also it's the age and the wear and tear and all those things. So I make the point here is this, that people have the memory of the types of fights that Joshua was in and the level he had reached. And, And any fighter, and this is not just about Anthony Joshua, you get to a point where uh, you start to go down the other side of the mountain where you can still be a top-notch fighter and still very good at what you do, but you're not the same as what you were at your absolute best. And I don't mean this in any way as a knock on Anthony Joshua or as an insult to him at all, but it's very clear. He's not what he was when he was at his best. And by the way, we can say the same thing about Deontay. Wilder. We could probably say the same thing about Tyson Fury, about Canelo Alvarez, pick any boxing star out there. You like, there's nothing wrong with that, but that guy's gone. And so now, This is the version of Joshua that exists. And so the fans and everybody have to get used to it. I don't think there's anything wrong with it from the standpoint of he still has the desire to compete when he doesn't need to because he's a very wealthy individual. There's no reason he has to do this from a financial point of view. And so I say enjoy the ride because it's not going to last forever.
1: Have you noticed any subtle differences in how he's performing since Derrick James has come on board? Difficult to say. We just the two fights, and um, Jermaine Franklin. I think is probably more of an awkward opponent than many people thought, as it was proved. He only fought Dillian White. Then he fights Anthony Joshua, goes the distance again. But in the this fight, we've just seen with Robert Hellenius, Have you noticed anything different from say, the performances he had from Usyk? Have you seen a different Joshua?
0: Well, the one thing about him that I thought was really clear, at least in the fight with uh, Hellenius anyway, uh, I thought his jab was really good. His jab was on point. It was sharp. It was straight. And he he brought it back. Well, you know, he didn't drop. I mean, my recollection was he wasn't dropping it down to his side and leaving himself open. He did a good job of, you know, kind of keeping it pinned up to the side of his head. Uh, I'm sure those are the types of things that they work on to, to, you know, to not only be uh, as good as you can be as an offensive fighter, but you know let's tighten up the defense a little bit. you know when when a trainer like Derek James or any top trainer uh, comes into a camp to to, uh, to work with a guy, I think most of them realize we're not gonna we're not gonna radically change this guy's style. He is who he is, especially somebody like Joshua who's been a professional for a long time for 10 years plus. there's no you're not you're not teaching the old dog new tricks. What you do is you take what you've got there and you try to refine a few things. Sharpen up, tighten up a couple of things and work with what you've got. So if one of the things that Derek James has been able to impart on Joshua is, you know, subtle things on his defense, that's a good thing. That could take him a long way. And obviously, you know, you work on the jab on a daily basis and you, you know, you do things like that. And so I think that, you know, again, I don't think any trainer working with Anthony Joshua is going to give us some radically new version of him. But I think the version that Derek has helped him become in these last two fights you know, it's a work in progress, but it's, I think so far so good. I mean, look, neither fight was exciting, but they got the job done. Did anybody doubt that he beat Jermaine Franklin handily on the points? No. And obviously he won. I didn't see the official scorecards from the uh, the Hellenius fight, but I have to believe that Joshua had won, you know, every round. Maybe he lost one round at most. Uh, and then he scored a spectacular KO of the year. Yeah, pretty, I'm going to say pretty much
1: pretty much every round that Joshua won you'd say so i'm not
0: sure what people want to see i don't you know I've mean, like i said because if he, if he got him out of there in one round they said robert helenius is a tomato can and look he got knocked out in the first round again and he goes seven rounds and he scores a spectacular knockout and people complain because it wasn't in the first or second round if he went 12 rounds it had been armageddon people would have thought he should retire i mean i say leave the guy alone and let anthony joshua be anthony joshua and enjoy it or don't, but he's going to do what he's got to do. And I'm happy he's still in boxing. I'm happy he's still fighting. I'm happy he still has desire to fight best, uh, the best types of fights. And, uh, you know, I have nothing bad to say about him. I mean, I'm glad that he's that he's made some changes, and he does seem to be refining things a little bit. He's good for the game.
1: 100%. In terms of a fight with Deontay Wilder now, we've seen – I've been discussing earlier, we seem to talk about, obviously, Joshua's frailties and his hesitancy to sometimes engage, but that's yeah. all – Play as well confused because new trainers are trying to help adjust his style just like implement new new different techniques but you've got Deontay Wilder who had them fights with Tyson Fury who obviously showed his vulnerabilities in terms of a fight between the two who would you say has the advantage coming into it or is this a genuine 50-50 whether lands on the button wins the fight
0: that's a good way to put it I mean there's a lot of ways to look at this on the one hand joshua from a technical point of view from just a straight uh you know uh skills point of view i think is the more talented fighter he had to learn that way better he's compact more so with his punches i think he's a little bit more uh defensive oriented uh you know he's got a good jab he throws a left hook sometimes like he's a pretty he's a more diverse fighter than than deontay wilder but deontay wilder has the greatest attribute you would want in boxing in any weight class which is and, and Joshua can turn out the lights with one punch also, like he did with Lennius. But Deontay is even a bigger puncher than that. He can just touch you and not even get you full shot and put your lights out. Um, but the thing about Deontay is and and I've seen I've been to lots of Deontay Wilder fights where he's just getting toyed with by the opponent and then has to find the one shot where you know going in, this is gonna be about when get, when is he gonna land the punch? And as Deontay Wilder himself has said often, my opponent has to be perfect for 12 rounds. I have to be perfect for two seconds. In other words, he got to be on his on his toes and, and avoid that punch the entire fight. I can just land once and you're gone. I mean, look at the fights he had. The second fight, for example, with Luis Ortiz, lost every round pretty much, and then he landed the bomb and he knocked him out. I mean that, and that has happened in other in other uh, instances. So from that standpoint, you know the technical aspect, you have to like Joshua. But if Joshua gets hit by that right hand. It's like any of these other guys. They're going to go probably. Uh, and the thing also that gives me a little bit of pause about that is that here you have Anthony Joshua. He's now gotten in the, the 12 rounds against uh, against uh, Jermaine Franklin back in April. He has seven rounds now against Robert Elenius, You know, solid quality professional fighters. If not, you know, they're not heavyweight championship guys, but they're pros. He yeah, got Wilder had one round in October. Won't fight. I, I mean, unless they do something crazy, which I can't imagine they're going to jeopardize the January date. He's not going to fight the rest of this year, and then you got to go back before the October fight, which was one round against Robert Alineus. Got to go back, however, I don't know what was it, a year and a half uh, or so, whenever when he had the third fight against Fury, where he got took huge amounts of punishment and got knocked out. That's what I was going to come on to
1: in terms of Joshua. Although he suffered the back to back um defeats to Usyk, he'll gained a lot from that because we know how good a boxer Usyk is although the defeats obviously be devastating for him in terms of losing the belts. But Deontay Wilder, you mentioned inactivity there. There's been talks of an Andy Ruiz fight. Now, surely you sort of alluded to it there. We're talking about a January date. They can't afford now, can they? Or can they not to put Wilder in with a Ruiz before that date? Or do
0: you think it'll come? I'd I'd be really surprised if... If he, first of all, I'd be surprised if he has a fight between now and the Joshua fight. Second of all, even if he did have a fight between now and the Joshua fight, there's no way they're doing an Andy Ruiz fight for a lot of reasons. Number one, Andy Ruiz and Deontay Wilder, between the two of them, command a huge amount of money. And that is a good fight that I'm sure lots of fans would be interested to watch, but it's probably not the kind of fight that can generate that kind of money on pay-per-view. And otherwise, how are you going to do it? Unless you have some crazy benefactor that just wants to throw money away. So I'd be very skeptical. About it, You know, I have spoken on, on several occasions with uh, Deontay's manager, Shelby Finkel, and they've talked about the possibility of a fight at the end of this year. But that was sort of trying to do something like that just on the off chance that Joshua lost, you know, back whether he was going to have fought Dylan White. Obviously, the opponent changed to Robert Lenius. So I don't think there's really any big appetite from the, the Wilder camp that all of a sudden now that Joshua safely through his assignment, that they're going to all of a sudden go set up a fight for like, you know, October or whenever. And then he's going to come back and fight in January because then you risk a loss, you risk an injury. You know, it's just too much uh, to to put at stake. Uh, so I'm I'm skeptical about that. And look, there's going to be a lot of question marks about Deontay Wilder coming into a Joshua fight if it gets squared away because of the things I mentioned, the combination of the inactivity and the the fact that the last time prior to the to the to the less than three minutes against Hellenius, he got pummeled. You got, you got damaged badly. You know, you took a bad knockout against Tyson Fury, which, by the way, you had taken two bad knockouts to Tyson Fury in a row, uh, you know, because of the fact that they had had the second fight where he lost by KO also in a, you know, at least the third fight was much more competitive because he scored some knockdowns against Fury. Second fight was a one-sided demolition. The only reason the third fight happened was because he had the option for a rematch. Great. I
1: think it'd be interesting to see how this sort of, Players out. Uh, one thing I want to pick up on as well, moving away from this, I've seen um, Benavidez has come out and said that the negotiations have started for a Demetrius andre clash. What do you make of that fight? I feel like um, Andre over the years has maybe been a little bit avoided. Obviously, his style's not you would say fan friendly, but for a boxing purist, he's a he's a good fighter. And Benavidez yeah. won says he wants you know wants that fight. What do you make of that
0: fight? Well, I think like maybe a week and a half ago or maybe even two weeks ago, whenever it was, I mean, I broke that story that those camps were negotiating that fight and uh, I thought it made a lot of sense because they're both with PBC now. Neither one of them uh, is going to be able to just sit around and wait for a Canelo lottery ticket. Canelo has signed up to fight Charlo. So he's the undisputed champion. And so these guys can't just sit and wait. They got to do something to to force the issue. I mean, Benavides is a mandatory or will become a mandatory in the WBC given his interim title. But it hasn't been ordered. And even if he is, there's no guarantee uh, that that Canelo Alvarez will fight him. No one's going to force him to fight a mandatory unless he so desires. So this is a chance for them to have a a marquee kind of fight with another guy in the weight class and put on a good show, make some money and, uh, and and make your case to the public once again that you should be an opponent for Canelo Alvarez. Now, I don't think that David Benavides needs to have that kind of thing, because to me, if you consider Canelo, which he is the undisputed champion, then you should definitely consider at this moment in time that David Benavides is the undisputed number one contender. But uh, look, it's a good matchup. It's a good style matchup because you got the undefeated, uh, you know, uh, more of a brawler, a good puncher, great chin, pressure, pressure, pressure style in Benavides. You have uh, also the undefeated uh, uh, Demetrius Andre, a two division world champion, both in the junior middleweight division and the middleweight division. He now has one win since he went to 168. Now that he's with PBC, he boxed in January and uh, scored a pretty handily win against, uh, you know, on the undercard when Gervonta Tank Davis fought Hector Luis Garcia. And so this makes a lot of sense. You know, he came to PBC because they had a wealth of options in that weight class, and it's a good fight. And here's the other thing about it, by the way. I think it's very promotable. Uh, David talks a lot of shit. Demetrius Andrade is very underrated in the way he talks. I've been to lots of his fights, and I've known Demetrius' his entire professional career. Demetrius is a good talker. He just didn't really had the microphone to do it because he didn't have a big event to do so uh and so i think that there's gonna be some heat with that fight and is it going to be the pressure style or is it gonna be the consummate you know boxer style one thing about demetrius let me tell you matt he doesn't have a lot of knockouts and some people might say he's got a boring style and whatever but he's a superb technical boxer and near zero thing but so take a look at his record his last 10 fights let's say he has either scored some knockouts and if he hasn't scored a knockout, he's got numerous knockdowns like when he won the middleweight belt I was there in Boston. It was supposed to fight Billy Joe Saunders, but Billy Joe got bumped out of that fight because of a positive drug test. So he fought this big, strong, like 6'3", African fighter, Walter Conandokwa. He won a shutout decision, but he also knocked the guy down like four times. He's got many, many knockdowns. I think that's one of the things. He's one of them. When I mean,
1: people analyze the record, they say isn't a puncher, but he's one of them who is sharp enough where if you're on on your game, he won't just get your respect. He, like you're saying, he's scoring the knockdown. So I, I honestly think it's a great fight. I think PBC this year have sort of, I would say, quietly gone about the business, but they've put together some really good cards. And I think before the end of the year, so we're going to get to see Canelo Charlo. Um, there's talks, obviously, as well of Canelo fighting the other Charlo after. So boxing's looking. I think boxing this year, especially with these cards, it's looking in a pretty good state.
0: The only the only disappointing fact about that, and like I agree with what you said about PBC, they've made some tremendous uh, not only main event fights, but the generally speaking, the undercards they have put on these events have been solid. The only thing I would quarrel with is that every single fight you just mentioned, including Benavides against uh, Andre, should it get finalized, every one of them has been a pay per view, and in my mind, they have sort of neglected to some degree having any marquee fights on Showtime, which is their broadcast partner. Now, Showtime's had lots of good fights but there's zero zip and sexiness and name value to most of their main events, unfortunately. So I'd like to see at least, you know, can I get one or two marquee names or or matchups on the regular Showtime broadcast, which I spend, you know, subscription money every month on uh, because all the big ones that we're talking about tank and Ryan and Errol and and Crawford and the, the two, the plant Benavides now Benavides Andre Canelo, of course, coming up with Charlo um, every single one of those is a pay-per-view fight.
1: Yeah. It's always that thing where we say getting fighters paid and how they do it and wanting to generate always that loggerheads with the everyday fan. Like I just
0: feel like there's gotta be a happy medium. That's all. I'm not opposed. I'm not one of these guys that is opposed to pay-per-view and says you should never have pay-per-view cards. No, I don't understand how the business works. Pay-per-view has been around for like 40 years. It's not going anywhere uh, despite the best efforts of the zone that failed miserably. Uh, but there's gotta be something for the, for the fan. That's not going to be, uh, you know, wanting to always spend, you know, the 80, especially now that they raised the price for these pay-per-views primarily to like 80
1: and $85. Yeah. I'd I take that point on board. Let's quickly wrap this up with um, pound for pound number one in the world, Terrence Crawford. I think he was in Omaha High, had a big parade. There was thousands upon thousands of fans turned out for him. I know that he got a bill of sale for um a plot of land near his gym, which they sold to him for $1, which will allow him to expand and do things like that. Coming on to his actual fight game though, and um, the performance of Everell Spence, we've been, everyone's talked about it for weeks, how, how sort of dominating it was. What would, what would you like to see him do next? He's been on radio shows and I saw him at the Breakfast Club talking about we can do Canelo 158. <laughs> what, what, what do you make the comments like that? And, and what would you like to see him do?
0: Well, I can tell you one thing, we're not doing Canelo 158 because Canelo has been fighting at 168 and 175. Uh, and, as great a performance as uh, Terrence Crawford had, uh, he knows he'd be the B-side in that fight, and he's not going to dictate the weight to uh, Canelo Alvarez. So Canelo hasn't even fought at 160 for the last few years, so that's more of a of just a a, a soundbite than anything that's reality. But look, Terrence Crawford established himself, in my view, and yours apparently, and probably many others, that based on the way he performed against uh, Errol Spence, combined with the rest of his career that we have seen, he's the number one fighter in the world right now. There's no doubt in my mind about that. And that's uh, all due respect to Noya in way He was probably a close second, but Crawford's the man right now. Uh, I did watch uh, some of that parade on uh, you know, some of the highlights of his speech. And I thought it was fantastic that the city turned out for Terrence Crawford like that. It didn't really shock me. I have covered fights of his in uh, in Nebraska and he's always drawn good crowds at his fights. I mean, he may not have been a, a, a global icon or even a, a national hero here in the United States, but in home in Nebraska, in Omaha in particular, they always turn out for Terrence. He's always been a guy that you know would wear Omaha and his on his waistband and always talk up his city. I mean, Omaha is not the biggest the biggest city out there. It's not known for that many things. I mean, it's it's uh, just a, a one of many you know Midwestern cities in the United States that doesn't have any particular uh famous thing going for it. But uh, you know, Terrence always brought good light to his city. He, he loves his community, and they love him back. And I thought it was really cool that the that the mayor. Uh, announced that they were selling him that plot of land because I know how important his boxing academy is to him and his team. And, and uh, you know, Brian McIntyre is trainer. Also, they do a lot with the, with the kids and with the community there besides just, you know, being a boxing star, they give back. And so now if they're going to take that land and, and build on uh, you know, an extension to the gym, that's a beautiful thing to, 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 to do what Terrence needed when he was a kid, which is try to keep a lot of these uh, young people out of trouble and, you know, go to the gym and learn some if it's even if you're not going to become a pound for pound star, You know, learn some discipline, uh, learn about being on a schedule and that sort of stuff. That was a good thing. As far as what he does in the boxing ring, I don't think he can make any real decision just yet because Terrence Crawford is going to be obligated to do uh, what Errol Spence wants to do if he asks for the rematch. So he's got that right. The clock is ticking, but there's still time left before Errol has to make the formal uh, decision. And so we'll have to see if he, he opts for the rematch, which is his right, then I'm sure that will be the next fight. That we see, I think, before the end of this year, which will be Crawford Spence number two. If not, then then it becomes a different conversation.
1: You think we see the rematch based on the previous performance? I know Errol, and we've said it for years. You know, well to it, his whole career is what thirty three years of age now. I believe he's clearly like needs a move. Like he's huge. Like he's a big dude to be bo- to be going down. And this isn't taking away from Terence's performance. You know, the best guy win on the night, but. With Errol moving up to 154, do you feel that he will pursue this rematch? Is there too much money involved in this fight for him to not do the rematch, you think?
0: I mean, all the indications are from Errol since the fight is that he wants the rematch, whether it was what he said on the night of the fight, what he said at the press conference after the fight, you know, what he has been saying uh, to people since the fight. So he wants the rematch. The question is going to be, will, will Crawford be willing to do it at 154 pounds? And that's something he'll have to decide. But Crawford has indicated... Uh, on a multitude of occasions, both in some of these uh, post-fight uh, interviews that he's been doing. And I'm actually glad to see him taking a little bit of a victory lap. You know, he deserves that attention. Uh, but he also said it to us uh, on the night of the fight at the press conference afterwards that uh, he'd be he's open to, to doing 154 pounds. I mean, as much as Errol may have struggled to make that weight, uh, I don't think Terrence had that struggle. But, you know, it's not easy for him to get down to 47 either. So I think that would be a welcome relief, frankly, for both guys if they could put on a few more pounds. Now, of course, if they do the rematch, At 54, it's not a world championship fight. Um, So we'll see what happens with the belts and all that business. But I don't think that Crawford has got nothing to prove at this point. Errol's already been a unified champion as well. So uh, if it was at a heavier weight for a non-title fight, it wouldn't shock me. I I can think of one example, actually, uh, that would be sort of similar to what happened. Uh, I'm going back a few years. I remember covering the two fights that took place between Jermaine Taylor and Kelly Pavlik. Kelly Pavlik knocked out Jermaine Taylor to become the middleweight champion. Jermaine Taylor had the option in his contract for a rematch. That was not a two-way rematch clause because Jermaine was the clear uh, guy. They were giving him uh, the mandatory, the opportunity, but they negotiated a rematch clause, but it went in, in Taylor's favor. And Jermaine exercised his right to a rematch, but the contract said he had the option to do the fight either at middleweight or at 164 pounds. And he he did the fight at 164 pounds. They had an immediate rematch. wasn't for the title, and Kelly Pavlik won again in a non-title fight. So that's the sort of scenario I could see going on with this fight if Errol opts for the rematch and Crawford's amenable to doing it at 154 pounds. It'd be the same thing. They would have a rematch, just wouldn't be for the title, but two marquee names and still, you know, I guess a big fight, not as big as the first one, given the way that the first one went. I think there'd be a lot less public interest in the sequel, but uh, it feels like Errol's going to go that route. I mean, some guys take that option when they have it. Other guys don't. Look, Canelo Alvarez had the option to do a Dimitri Bivol rematch immediately. He said he would do it on the night of the fight. He came to the press conference afterwards, told us he would do it. And what happened? He didn't do it. And I thought it was the right decision for him not to do it. Uh, I don't think it's the really the best decision for Errol to do the rematch. But Errol's got to make up his own mind. He's an, as a grown man, as he said at the press conference. I make my own decisions, and now we're going to see what he does. Yeah, I think,
1: um, yeah, for what you said, I just think it's good that we're actually seeing big names talking about big fights and... You know, it's um, it has been a tremendous year for boxing, and you know, long, long may it continue. Look, Dan, I've um, took a lot of your time. I appreciate you as always. Um, we'll catch up when there's some more breaking news or when there's some developments in these fights, and hopefully, touch wood if that fight gets made, I'll be seeing you across there,
0: across the pond again. So, yeah, appreciate. You. All right, you bet. Anytime, Matt. Thanks a lot. Thank you, bud.
1: Sports Social Podcast Network